up, Lime Ninja Nation? We brought back the old music. McKay Rippey here. Welcome to the podcast. Today is Sunday, March 15th, and this is episode 281. You may have noticed that we took a little break there a couple times. Eh, I'll get into that later on. It's a long story. It's several stories, and we'll explain that. But we're back. We're finally back. I'm so excited to be here. We have a stack show for you. We've got a brand new format. I think you're going to love it. It's a lot more information, a lot more partnerships. That's kind of my new theme is, is partnerships. Actually, it's part of a Toastmasters path that I'm on right now is strategic partnerships. So for you Toastmasters out there, a little shout out. For the paths and the pathway and if you want to learn how to speak in public this is a, a totally unplanned <laughs> a, a little plug for toastmasters it's a great organization there are many clubs all over the place highly recommend that you go check them out toastmasters.org anyway total non sequitur there we have a stack show that's what i was trying to say new format one of my partners is Dr. Nicola Ducharme. She's the author of Lyme Brain. She's a naturopathic physician in San Diego. We have Lauren Lovejoy. She's the director, I believe that's her title, the director of Lyme Warriors US, a great nonprofit who's doing all kinds of amazing things to bring awareness and help start conversations, right? That's what we need to do, start conversations about Lyme disease and more about that later too. And we also have a super inspiring guest who's healed herself or healing almost 85% the way there. She's back functional again after having really severe Lyme disease, Nikki DeSalvo, and I think you're going to love listening to her and her story. But before we get into that, let me get my notes here. Before we get to them, would it be okay with you if we found, you and me, if we found the 90% of people who get misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. That's what the CDC, the CDC says, the Centers for Disease Control says, that every year 90% of people with Lyme disease never even get diagnosed. That is terrible. So I was putting together this PowerPoint presentation a while back for Dr. Nicola, and it struck me. It's like it just it hit me all of a sudden. We're not missing 60%, which is terrible because of the bad testing. We're missing 90%. The training and the tools that the IDSA, the Infectious Disease Society of America, IDSA, Infectious Disease Society of America, for those of you who are new to Lyme disease, the IDSA, their training, how they're teaching docs is missing 90% of the people who have Lyme every single year. That just blows my mind. And it, frankly, makes me a little bit angry, just a little bit. And maybe that makes you angry too, does it? Does that make you angry? You know, if you were a basketball player and you were <laughs> missing 90% of the shot, you'd lose your job. You wouldn't have a job very long. You'd be on the bench, then you'd be out the door. 10% is more like a soccer stat, okay? <laughs> For those of you soccer lovers out there, don't send hate mail. I understand. I used to play when I was a kid. But look, that's the truth. Lionel Messi, right? The great Lionel Messi, one of the best soccer players in the world. I checked out his stats recently, so let me have a look here. 
he has 13 goals on 95 shots so far this year. So he's doing better than the IDSA, the Infectious Disease Society of America folks. He's got a 13.68 success percentage. So that's 3.68 better than the IDSA. <laughs> but and then the, I had this, I can't get this image out of mind. Can you imagine a soccer announcer doing play-by-play -play for an IDSA doc in the doctor's office? It'd be hysterical. It would go something like this. So here, let me, let me get into the mood here. Bob, this is a golden chance for doc do-nothing. The patient has been feeling terrible for weeks. The mom brought in photos of a bullseye rash. The doc's pulling up the Eliza in the Western blots. Oh no, the patient does not live in a Lyme endemic area. Oh, but he's a Boy Scout. Do nothing has a clear view of the diagnosis. Only the reporting paperwork stands in its way. He's, he's, go, go, go. Can you imagine the doctor running through the hallways? Pulling his lab coat over his head, fist pumping, yeah, getting hugs from all the other doctors, patients cheering him on in the waiting room. You know, the IDSA does think they are Lyme superstars. You know what I mean? They think missing 90% of cases is acceptable. They think they're playing soccer like Lionel Messi, but they're not playing soccer. They're playing with lives. Your life, your family's lives, your friends' lives, and the lives of people in your community. The IDSA says Lyme is hard to catch, easy to diagnose, and easy to treat. Have they even talked to anybody, anybody in the CDC in the last, I don't know, decade? So let me do a little math for you. Don't worry, I'll do the math. You just have to listen. In 2021, the CDC estimated there were 476,000 cases of Lyme disease. 476,000 cases of Lyme disease. Because they do that little calculation, they multiply the actual reported cases by 10. So only 47,600 cases were reported. So here's where the math comes in. That means... In 2021, 428,400 people were misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. That was in 2021 alone. So half a million there, half a million here, and pretty soon you're talking about a real epidemic. Some of you might recognize that's a takeoff on a quote from the great Senator Everett Dirksen. I'll talk more about that later. That's kind of a funny quote. But anyway, on with the quotes. Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein, smart dude, right? He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we use to create them. Right? Forrest Gump's mama, I love this quote. Forrest Gump's mama said it a little more plainly. She was a little more plain spoken. She said, stupid is as... Stupid does. We all know that quote. But I like to say, the blind leading the blind have committed a big-time Lyme crime. Do you feel me? More importantly, 
Will you be part of the solution with me? Are you tired of waiting for the experts to get there mm, together, to get it together? Let's say it PG. Say it with me. Do it now. Come on, IDSA, do it now. But you know what? We can't wait another lifetime for them to figure out Lyme. We need to do it now. Do it now. I'm done waiting. That's why I'm back here doing this podcast. I'm done waiting. So say it with me. Say it with me. I'm going to church here in a Baptist church. I've never been to Baptist church, but I'm told this is what they do. A little talkback church, it's called. So say it with me on this podcast. Say it. Tap your chest. I'm done waiting. I'm done waiting. So stay with me on this podcast. Stay here. We're going to change the world. We're going to do it now. Mm. Fired up. Got to maybe tone it down a little bit there. All right. So segueing into our first section there mm. gets me all riled up there. 90%, really, 90% miss rate, right? They're 10% successful. Can you, let me, I got to stop here a second. Can you imagine if Uber was missed 90%? Imagine getting into an Uber and the app says, oh, nope, sorry, you don't need to go anywhere today. Thanks, thanks for showing up, but the app says you're fine. Nope, you're, you're good. You don't need to go anywhere. Then you beg the driver, please, really, I need to get to the airport. It's really important. You know, my my, I don't know, my son's birthday party, my grandkids, I got to get there. Well, okay. And then the Uber driver takes you to the wrong airport. That's what these IDSA trained docs are doing every day. The blind are leading the blind and it's not good. All right. So next up, have a recorded section. I have some recorded sections. So we're doing this asynchronously. It's kind of the new format. So I get to talk with these people, my partners, bring them on on a recording and share it w with you live. So I'll be live on these, but we'll have some bits, some sound bites, some recordings of some really cool people. And the first up is Lauren Lovejoy with Lime Warriors. We had a great talk about this project that she's got going, actually a couple projects that she's got going. And one is a virtual 5k but she's also tagged up and added on trivia i think that's so cool lime trivia there's a way again to start conversations to find the 90 percent to make these 90 percent these 470 what was it 440,000 every year that are invisible we need to make them visible you me we need to do the work doctors aren't going to do it idsa is not going to do it it's not happening you know, that's why I stopped the podcast. Got depressed, to be honest with you. I was waiting for the experts to come around. I was sure they were going to come around. Now I'm sure they're not going to come around. You know what? That's okay, because we can do this. We got this. We can do it now. We're doing it now. I'm doing it now. Come do this with me. Anyway, here's Lauren's, my interview with Lauren, and let's cue this up, and here we go. Lauren Lovejoy from Lime Warriors, welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. And maybe a ninja's a warrior, or maybe a warrior's a ninja, I don't know. But it's good to finally get caught up with you. And you're going to be a regular feature. You and your organization is going to be a regular feature on this podcast, because what you're doing is so important. So welcome to our new combined project here. 
Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. You guys are on the same path trying to just make this Lyme journey easier. So we're excited to be here with you. Yeah, thanks so much and for taking the time out and for you know giving us some of your energy spoons. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you have, you and your organization have an amazing project coming up and it's a virtual 5K. Tell me about that. Absolutely. So we have an annual 5K every year. And you know, some of us Lyme patients, we're not exactly ready to jump up and run, but we want to get involved and we want to spread awareness and we want to do it in a way that is uh, open to friends and family. So we thought a 5K was a great way to, you know, get the healthy people involved and, you know, do something virtually together that helps bring a community together. And what we're doing this year that's really different that I'm excited about is we have a virtual trivia component that goes with it. So along with bringing your friends and family out to get involved, you can now challenge them to see what they really do or do not know about Lyme disease. So for example, you know, 50% of Lyme patients get a uh, tick bite rash. Is that true or false? Well, a lot of family members don't even know those basic things. So we're hoping to really challenge them and show them that this disease is not exactly what you thought it was and bring them into that conversation so that they can figure out why awareness is just so important right now. So we're really excited to bring that this year. That sounds like so much fun. My daughter does trivia, not Lyme trivia, at a, a local bar with her friends. And she's she's one of the local champions, so I think she keeps going back for more. That's awesome. So trivia is such an inclusive way to bring everybody together, start the conversation about Lyme disease. The facts are mind-numbingly amazing. What you, what you thought you knew is totally you wrong you every way right. through. So. <laughs> well, we've got a, you know, talking about misinformation, disinformation. We got an organization committed to spreading Lyme disinformation, and it's called the IDSAA, and we don't like them very much. They're not our friends because they're keeping us from diagnosing 90%. And that's not our numbers, right? We're not conspiracy theorists. We just go to the CDC website and says, yeah, we diagnose about 10% of all cases. We estimate they're 476,000 and we're catching, you know, like 47,000 of them. So the 90% who get misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, good luck, good and luck. And that's why we think patients are the best advocates, right? If we can help elevate your voices and bring you into a community where you can tell people your experience and tell people why it's wrong, we find those are movers and shakers. And that's why Lyme patients are the best advocates of this disease. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm like an anti-runner. Like, I stopped running in junior high school. Like, <laughs> junior high school cross-country did me in. It's like, that's it. So if I'm not chasing something or being chased by something, it's like, eh, you know, not really up for running. But I have to say, this sounds like so much fun that I might have to get out and walk a little bit, put all my snow boots here in central New York and get out and put a 5K together. So do, can you do it all at once or do you have, can you split it up? It's you know, we're not going to call the police if you don't do the whole thing. <laughs> you know, this is more about just getting together with friends and family, getting outside, getting some fresh air and sharing the experience. And we're hoping it really opens the conversation. So whether your walk is from your couch to your kitchen, as some of us struggle with, or whether you want to do the real 5K, either is really about creating this conversation and creating a community, because we feel like that's a, a real struggle point is creating people that understand and are open to information. That's that's so important. I love it. Five steps or 5K, whichever comes first, right? Wherever you make it to. <laughs> All right. And before I let you go today, you've... we. Before we were recording this, we we're talking about a new project you have putting together on a Lyme resource 
designed to help people in the initial stages of diagnosis and treatment. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, and then tell us how to sign up for the 5K and how to get this resource. Absolutely. So basically everything, go to the website, LimeWarrior.us. So we are putting together this guide. We are finding that the journey from misdiagnosis to not understanding how to navigate this disease puts years to decades onto this delightful Lyme experience that we all have to go through. And we are really hoping to put together a guide that removes all that bad information and just very succinctly explains how this disease works, what are the complexities, and how you can move forward navigating it. And we're really hoping to take years and decades off this experience for people, whether you've been at it for two weeks or 20 years, you know, we just want to help you on that road to getting better. So that's in development right now. If you head to the website and drop onto our newsletter list, we have a ton of resources already built out to help you navigate, but we're hoping to really have this beautiful, simplified version coming to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening or watching us, go to limewarriors.us and that's where you can put your information and get all the goodies. Lauren, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Isn't she awesome? She's so amazing. And let me tell you something. It's crazy. It blew my mind. So we started, we knew each other before kind of professionally. But as we got talking, it turns out she just bought a small grouping of what's called American Milking Devons, which is a heritage breed. They're the cows that came over on the Mayflower. Matter of fact, they think they pushed them off the Mayflower and had them swim ashore. That's how they got here to the U.S. On our farm, my father-in-law keeps American milking Devons. It's like, what are the chances? You know, it's like, it's crazy. So we're, we're connected in ways that we, we don't even know yet. It's just, we're simpatico, totally simpatico. And I love Lauren. So please go check out our website, sign up, start conversations. This is how this is going to work. This is how you can be a ninja. This is how you can be a Lyme warrior. Start conversations. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. We're going to give you tools too. We'll, we'll be rolling out tools, a toolkit to help you start conversations, help you give people information that they need. And we're also going to be doing trainings, but I'll, I'll talk about that later. So partner with Dr. Nicola, we're going to, we've started the Lyme Academy. We're going to do trainings to train 100,000 advocates like you to find the 90%. We're going to train 10,000 coaches, nurses, nurse practitioners, open-minded doctors, naturopaths, like I said, coaches, health coaches, nutritional coaches, anybody, fitness coaches, anybody who works with groups of people or large numbers of people. We're going to train them to triage, right? Triage. What a great idea. So that they can guide them more intensely than an advocate, right? They have some standing in the community. They can guide them to get the treatment that they need. And then for those special, those who are called, or feel a calling, really it takes a calling to train them to treat Lyme disease properly. So that's one of the projects I've been up to in the background and really excited about it. All right. Our next interview was with... Nikki DeSelvo, and she is absolutely lovely. You may have remembered her. She had this amazing blog about her Lyme journey, and somehow it got taken down when Google redacted their blogging platform. So she just lost everything. It was really a heartbreak. She had some great material. She probably enough to make a book there. But I was lucky enough. She reached out to me, 
and I got a few minutes to talk to her about her Lyme journey. So join me as we listen to Nikki's story. Nikki DeSobo, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to this conversation about your Lyme journey, both past and ongoing. So to introduce yourself, will you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with your life? Yes, so I currently live in Emporia, Kansas. Um, I am an outpatient therapist at a community mental health center. Um, those are, that's my main gig. Um, I also do some bartending here at a local restaurant, um, but I am from upstate New York. So, oh, where? Uh, we lived in Williamson, my- which is in Wayne County. We're, so I'm in Oneida County, Southern Oneida County, just south of Utica. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I've been to so the were, Utica de- area. Yeah. You're more door, down the Hudson area. Yeah. Um, we were right on Lake Ontario. So like between Rochester oh, and Syracuse. Okay. The other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Up north that way. All right. Yeah. So real upstate New York. So a lot of times people say upstate New York and they're from the city and they mean right. Kingston or something like that. So you're real. Yeah. You're upstate. a real upstater. Yeah. I like so to say we're way in that upstate. weird space between upstate and western New York, but some people say upstate, some people say western. We'll we'll take you. We'll, we'll be the more the merrier. <laughs> and then so how is life working full-time plus part-time? It is it's manageable. I would say much more manageable than it was in the past. So I kind of, I kind of never really stopped even through all of the Lyme journey, which was very intense at times. I was still doing my undergrad and then I was doing my graduate work, um, but it was really challenging. And I would say that now the challenges are a lot less and a lot farther between. So I still so are you having I the same really type of... of go ahead. Yeah. Are you still having the same sort of symptoms that you had when things were really bad or they knew? I think so. What has happened is that I've developed some autoimmune issues. So those ones are kind of the newer things, you know, the Hashimoto's and endometriosis and stuff like that. Um, so those are the newer things that I deal with, but I don't have as much of the ongoing day-to-day, the neurological issues, the transient pain, um, random fevers, and all of that kind of stuff has really dissipated. And did you have co-infections? It sounds like you had co-infections along with Lyme, or is it just straight up Lyme? So my primary care never tested for co-infections. That was who I was diagnosed by. And then once I, I had already treated for a while before I saw a Lyme literate doctor. Um, and, you know, at that point, we didn't really treat for co-infections. We just continued to treat for the Lyme. And there probably were some co-infections going on, um, and I, but I just don't recall, and I don't think we treated them specifically. What was the hardest thing when, so you're, you're studying, you're getting your grad degree, You've got neurological symptoms. Is it brain fog? Is it just jangling of nerves? What? How were you affected? 
Yeah, a lot of brain fog, um, extreme fatigue. I would have a lot of visual issues, um, just all that kind of seeing the floaters and like just lights in my vision and blind spots and all that kind of stuff. That makes it pretty difficult to stay focused and um, that stuff. I would just have to take my time. You know, I would have to do things in smaller chunks. I couldn't study for hours on end. Um, I would have to sometimes get up and leave class for a few minutes or, you know, and had to be really communicative with my professors so that they knew what was going on. And, um, you know, hey, if I get up and leave, it's not because you're boring. It's <laughs> because I, I have to take a little break. Or maybe it's because you're boring, too, but I'm going to say it's because I need a break. <laughs> Right. We're not going to go there with them at all. Right. So when you're talking about a small chunk of time, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, hour, like how small, like how bad was it? Um, it was at times it was really bad. I mean, there were times when I couldn't complete assignments and it was just not going to happen. Um, and I feel like for the most part, my everybody was pretty understanding about that. Um, but because some days on end would just be gone. You know, I couldn't function. There was no getting out of bed, maybe to go to the bathroom. And and that was it. Um, so there there were times like that. And then I would get through those days and then, OK, I'm going to do what I can. And that made it through. <laughs> So what kept you going? Because in the face of that, some people say, you know what? I just can't do this right now. I need to take time for myself to heal completely. And then I'll dive back into grad school. What kept you going? Yeah. Um, I just don't think I ever thought about another option, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I had been working for so long because um, I went back to school late. I think I was 24 when I decided to go back and start my undergrad um and ancient you were ancient i know i was so well <laughs> i know i think about that now and <laughs> that seems very young but <laughs> but i i just once i started i just felt like i had to keep going i had to keep that momentum going and i think probably in the back of my mind i was scared that if i stopped i wouldn't continue and i had goals for myself that i wanted to see myself complete and i had a really good support system um to keep me on track and to keep me balanced. Um, my husband has been amazing. And I know there are so many people with Lyme who end up with the opposite story of significant others who don't understand, can't handle it, step out because they they just can't handle that pressure and that uncertainty. Um, but he has always been the opposite. He's just been cheering me on, but also balancing. So I learned a lot from him about when I did need to slow down or when I needed to step back a little bit. And he can he can see it. He can see in my face when I'm not doing well. He'll say, OK, why don't you go sit down? I'll go cook dinner or whatever it is, you know. So with his help, I think I was able to be more balanced and understand what I could and couldn't do. Excellent. And then. What turned things around for you? When did when did you start feeling like, you know what, things are getting better? What, what had yeah, you done think, or what was the shift? So I think it was really, 
after we moved to Kansas, um, which was in 2016, um, I started another round of IV antibiotics. Um, and I continued them while we were here for, I think, eight months. Um, and toward the end of that experience with those antibiotics, that was cefepime, was the second round. Um, I started to feel just kind of stronger, um, just like those day-to-day those -day symptoms were not as significant or they weren't as frequent. Um, and I just kind of built from there. So I think I really needed so that second the, round of antibiotics. Yeah, so it was either the, the accumulation, the accumulated effect, the, I want to say density, that's not the right word, but it's the, the amount getting IV or the type of antibiotic itself was just the right thing at the right time. Right. And it really shifted things. And that's mm -hmm. really a testament to, you know, don't, don't give up, right? To keep going and, and even yes. repeating things at time. It doesn't mean it's the wrong thing the first time. It just might not be not enough time over target, so to speak, since we are talking about antibiotics or just mm -hmm. volume. There's just not enough of the drug had gone through the system and gotten right. to where it needs to go or kill, killed off enough or gotten through the biofilm, what, whatever's happening in there. There's so many variables. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I want to show you something and get your reaction. It's a cartoon. Do you know David Skidmore okay. and Lime Loonies? I don't. Let's, I don't think I do. Well, let's, let's do a little bit of magic here and see if it works. So I'm testing this for the first time. We're gonna see how it okay. goes. Um, I think we do need a little humor to help us through some of the dark times. And this is one of David Skidmore's cartoons. And he talks about, well, he, he says, if I had the right diagnosis and the IDSA wasn't so bogus, I wouldn't need a new brain. <laughs> so, what, yeah, exactly. You got to chuckle out of you. So what are your thoughts about this yeah well first it's it's funny and it's cute right but then my second thought is gee that's sad you know because for so many of us to relate to not having the right diagnosis and for those who are have a lot of control to not recognize not understand um to push policies that are not helpful it's it's sad and I, I, it's horrible that all of us have these same stories and um, still it feels like we are moving along so slowly. It is, how long did it take you to get diagnosed? About five years. And how many doctors, practitioners did you see in that <laughs> span, more or less? It's another oh. laughter. Yeah, I mean, so many. I would say probably with specialists and primary care doctors between 10 and 15. And the number of diagnoses ranged, oh, I don't know how many, uh, lupus, fibromyalgia, MS, all the, you know. And then it was, oh, well, no, we don't think it's that. It's <laughs> on to the next thing, the next specialist. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting and it's... it's that's, that's why I'm resurrecting Lime Ninja Radio. It's the, the stats we usually go through as well. The, the tests missed, 
you know, somewhere 40 to 60% of, of cases. But then if you just simply go by the CDC's own estimate, we're missing 90%, right? They take the number of reported cases and multiply it by 10. That means we're yeah. missing 90%. That means, that means each year more than 400,000 people are going undiagnosed or misdiagnosed as it was in your case. That's right. criminal. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And when you finally got the right treatment, it's like, oh my goodness, I can get better. I can feel right. better. This this Lyme diagnosis might be the right might be the right one after all. Yeah. Yep. And and it's I do not have like to ask. You don't have the information out there. You know, the it, it's accessible at this point. I I really put that on. I I put that some of that responsibility on the individual practitioners to find the information. And unfortunately. I'm going to identify an enemy and you can disagree with me here because it's my personal opinion. It is the IDSA. And the, the problem is a practitioner does exactly what they're trained to do. Go to the trusted source. So for digestive stuff, they go to the digestive society of America or whatever that's called for, right. you know, orthopedic stuff. They go to the orthopedic for infectious disease. They go to the IDSA and that group is just behind the times by at least 20 years. And yeah. they are violating the Hippocratic Oath. They are doing so much harm, so much harm. And mm-hmm. they're stuck for whatever reason they're stuck. And it doesn't have to be mercenary. It might be, it might just be that they're old men stuck in their ways. As we get older, we get stuck. I know that mm-hmm. I'm experiencing that every day more and more. So I, I understand, but I'm not holding the lives of hundreds and hundreds or millions of people. I was gonna say hundreds right. of thousands in my hands. They are. Now, last question for you, since you are in the counseling, do you see, are you t- talking to people and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, gee, I wonder if they have an infection that's affecting their mental status. Do you ever have those thoughts? I sure do. Yep. I mean, whether it's the people that I'm seeing who are my clients or uh, even just friends, I mean, I feel like I see it all over the place. Um, But yeah, and I do, you have to be careful, right? Because I'm not a medical doctor and I always preface by saying that, but you know, have you checked with your doctor? Have you had maybe some of these kind of tests done? And um, I have to walk that line of helping and also not pushing or um, seeming like I'm pushing my agenda, right? Yes, and I, I was curious about that as well because it is your licensure doesn't allow you to do that yet as a human right. being, you feel yeah. a responsibility to at least bring it up. That's one mm-hmm. thing being in the community, it's another when you're on a Zoom call with a client, with a patient and it comes up in the back of your mind. It's like, okay, how do, how do I bring this up? So thank, thank you for doing that. That is what's going to turn things around. Not the primary care, I'm convinced at this point, not the primary care providers. It's going to be the ancillary care. It's going to be nurse coaches. It's going to be counselors. It's going to be acupuncturists like me. It's going to be health mm-hmm. coaches who are going to, you know, to the degree they can push for, push for, uh, at least checking out. It's like rule it out, right? That's the terminology that physicians use. Like, what, what harm can it do? What harm can right. it do? Yeah. Nikki, I want to give you the last word. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to meet you. 
And thank you for giving us some inspiration that you can even have Lyman go through grad school. Mm-hmm. It is possible. Can, possible. It doesn't mean everybody can do it, but, but some people can do it. So I'm going to leave you with the last word. What would you like to share? Um, I think just that for me, my kind of mantra has had to be mindfulness and balance. So mindfulness of what is going on in my body I, and believing what's happening, right? Just being aware of it and then saying, okay, I, this is what's happening. What do I need to do? And the balance part of knowing when you need to rest, when you need to take care and when you maybe can push it a little bit, which can feel scary, I think at times, but um, you know, I've just, just now started to really work out and get physically active um, back to where I used to be. Um, And that it can feel scary to do that and think, oh gosh, I don't want to have these big setbacks. So I really have to have balance of knowing where to push and where to be a little bit more gentle with myself. And I think that's important for everyone. Yes, that final step of nourishing your destiny and reclaiming your life. Awesome. Nikki DeSalvo, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. All right. You know, that's about the third time I've heard that interview between actually doing it the first time, then editing it, and then listening to it again. And she's so inspiring. Oh, and before I talk a little bit more about Nikki, two points. One is my video on that was so bad, (laughs) embarrassingly bad. Luckily, about two weeks ago, had Spectrum come by and upgrade our internet. So we shouldn't have those fuzzy, out of sync, 1990s looking music video, you know, with the Vaseline on the lens. So thanks for putting up with it. I apologize after the fact. I should have mentioned it before the video. The other thing was, we're bringing it to you real and raw, right? That was Nikki's dog in the background. And she put the dog out so she would have quiet, but the dog decided to want to be part of the interview. So the dog was barking and scratching at the door. So those were the noises you heard, but that's life. You know, that's, that's real. And so Nikki, again, if you were watching this, thank you so much for just pouring your heart out and showing us courage and that there is hope. There's a way forward. And that's the most important thing. You can get better. You can don't give up. You can. We need you. We need you in this fight to find the 90%. All right, the last segment. Oh, I forgot. Dave Skidmore, if you're listening or watching, I'm trying to get him on the show to do a little section for uh, of his cartoons. I think they're hysterical. If you don't have this book, support him. Support yourself. Laughter is healing. Go get Lime Loonies. It's available at Amazon. I think it's available through his website. Maybe the website goes up Amazon, whatever. It's an awesome book. It'll chuckle if you're having a dark day. Go through it. It's dark humor, some of it, but it hits the nail on the head. Lime Loonies, David Skidmore. David, we need you on the show to do a little section every week. It'd be awesome. Come join us. It'd be a ton of fun. All right. The next partner I'm going to introduce you to is Dr. Nicola Descharmes. She's a prescribing naturopath in San Diego. She's an expert in Lyme. 
She's been on the podcast three, four times. She's written four books. She, her heart is in this. She is one tough cookie and she's not scared to treat people with Lyme disease. And she's got both worlds. She's got the allopathic, right? The antibiotics. She's got the natural side of things. It's a good mixture. You can use both. It's not either or. We need all the tools in the toolbox, all the tools in the clinical toolbox. Sometimes some things don't work. Sometimes they do. That's one of the things that happened with the old podcast. What got me a little bit down was I kept on hearing people say, yeah, I've got the answer to Lyme disease. All you have to do is do this. I cure 90%, 94%. Well, if that were the case, we'd be done with this problem, right? They don't have the cure. Nobody has all the answers. Dr. Nicolaitis likes to say it's a chess match, not tic-tac-toe. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You have to be prepared to really get in up to your elbows, deep into treatment, deep into diagnosis, deep into taking things slowly a step at a time. That's what it takes to be a Lyme practitioner. If you feel called and want to get trained with her, I'm going to do a little plug here, impromptu plug, reach out to me, uh, support at LymeNinjaRadio.com, and we can have a conversation about the training that we've set up with Dr. Nicola. But that's not really why I'm here right now. I'm here to introduce you to Dr. Nicola, and we have an awesome conversation that we recorded a while back on medical PTSD and how important mental health is to this whole thing. So please enjoy my interview with Dr. Nicola. Dr. Nicola, welcome. And we have a very interesting topic today, and that is medical PTSD. Yes. And we're used to hearing that bandied about for people who've been through trauma in the military, personal trauma, being raped, horrible stories like that. But the whole idea that this can happen in a medical setting is very interesting. And I know I've seen it in my clinic and have heard stories told by people on this podcast before. And so as practitioners, what, what do we need to be aware of? What are the pitfalls? What do we need to be looking for? When do we refer out? When we, can we just kind of hold somebody's hand and help them get through it? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to do is just to understand where this is coming from, right? So, you know, the, the whole premise of this is that the Infectious, Infectious Disease Society of America um, basically doesn't believe in chronic Lyme. And so as medical students go through their medical training and go through their residencies and internships and things, they there is no chronic Lyme anywhere on their radar. And not only is it absent, but there's this dogged determinancy that there is just no such thing as chronic Lyme. Like it's, it's not just like we don't know about it. it it's like full on against it. And so this is like the backdrop for these patients because it's really sad. And we really don't see that in other conditions. Certainly not that I haven't over the years, but what happens then is patients um, go to medical providers trying to get help and they are, you know, 
usually they can't find answers because no one's looking for chronic Lyme. So if you're not looking for it, you can't find it as a solution if it's there. Um, but it's worse than that. It's like people are told that they're being, you know, ridiculous. People are told that these things are all in their head. They are told that they just uh, need an antidepressant. And heaven forbid if somebody actually brings up the Lyme word in some of these appointments, like, wow, you know, then they're opening themselves up to a whole host of new, you know, issues. And I have had patients who have been laughed at. I have had patients who have been yelled at. I've had patients who have been thrown out of doctor's offices. Um, all these horrendous things that you just, you don't think about in medicine because they're not, they just don't typically happen. Don't but in they the Lyme world, they happen. Don't they swear an oath first, do no harm? Well, yes, yes. They think they think they are doing no harm. And they think that they're saving the patient from going down a rabbit hole of, you know, misguided treatments or whatever, but they're just not recognizing the significance of this problem. So we're the enemy because... Oh, yeah. Well, we're definitely the enemy. I see. Yes. So, Yes. And so what happens is when, when patients go through this process, I mean, it literally is traumatizing for them. And bear in mind that patients with chronic Lyme have nervous system dysregulation. They're often stuck in the chronic stress response to start with. And then they go through this horrific treatment, you know, not medical treatment, but treatment by providers. And it's very, very triggering. And so many have years and years of this, this horrible experience. And being told you don't have Lyme, there's no such thing as Lyme, you know, you're, you're wasting your time pursuing that, you know, other providers just trying to take your money. I mean, I've heard so many stories, like people walking out in tears. I had a patient just last week who was a new patient, I'd only met once a few days before, was feeling terrible, went to the emergency room, and they locked her into a psychiatric hold. She called me from because the hospital. Why? What were the indications for Because that? they assumed that it was mental illness. The things that she talked about was all mental illness even though they were neurological symptoms and psychiatric symptoms associated with Lyme. And she is currently on psychiatric hold at the hospital. I hope she sues them. I'm, yeah. not, a big, well, I'm not a big fan of lawsuits, but at some point it, it, it's warfare, right? If they're going to treat people like this yeah, and yeah. they have the full weight of the medical system in their hands, yeah. all I mean, the doctor has to say is say, yes. Yeah, we need security in room three and, and you're done. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. you can do. So the, the important thing to bear in mind is just understanding like the, just for, how pervasive this is. And so, you know, when you're working with people and this is part of the reward of working with people with chronic Lyme, if we as practitioners can be a listening, we can be the person who doesn't tell them they're crazy. We can be the person that lets them describe any symptom, even though they're apologizing along the way for how crazy it sounds. We can be the person that, you know, doesn't discount their symptoms or discredit their journey. Like that is huge. Just being there and listening and being compassionate and understanding will set you apart from the majority of providers that they've seen over the, you know, several year period that they've been chasing this.
that's so true. It reminds me of a story of one of my first patients. He wasn't a Lyme patient, but he was an older gentleman who was having trouble with his golf game. And he was, he was 70. He wasn't older. Like, you know, I was young at the time. So he was older, like 55. He was actually getting up there a little bit, but he came in and said, Oh, you know, my shoulder's bothering me, you know, and it's interfering with my golf game. Can you help me? And I'm an acupuncturist. I said, of course I can help. So we do a treatment. He comes back next week. My shoulders feel a lot better, but you know, my hips bother me a little bit. So we did a little more treatment and he comes back the next week. Shoulders good. Hips good. You know, my knee could use a little bit of work. And I'm saying, is this something new? Did you hurt yourself? He said, oh no, these things have all been bothering me for months, if not years. But what would happen is I'd go into a doctor's office and mention all three and they picked the one they wanted to work on. Yeah. So I thought I'd tell you what was most important to me. I said, well, as an acupuncturist, it would have been a little bit easier if you would have told me everything up front. And we probably, <laughs> right. probably could have gotten rid of all three of them all at once, but I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you came back because I need the practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. But that's an instance of not being listened to. Yeah, absolutely. Fully, and it's just something simple. And with Lyme, the other problem you layer on Lyme with the PTSD, the neuroinflammation that you mentioned, the neural dysregulation, suicidal ideation, and then you lay on top the struggling with the family, getting them to understand, and then trying to get your family to understand. And the doctors on top of it say, well, you know, dear family, she's crazy. And you really need to be thinking about institutionalizing her or putting on medications and they don't get, and they don't get better. Right. So now they're on medications. Now they're in an institution. Now the families against them and they're still suffering. Well, that's poor, just crazy aunt Jane, you know, too bad. We lost her. That's criminal. And that's, that's why we're here bringing this podcast back, getting out there. I know you're on a mission. I'm joining you on this mission. We've got to get frontline coaches, clinicians to recognize Lyme, chronic Lyme, and either learn how to treat it themselves, which can be done. There, It doesn't have to be pharmaceuticals. It can be natural things. And you can find good doctors to work with out there now. Eyelids is doing a good job training up doctors so you can partner with them. But then also when to refer. It's like, you know what? I think you might have Lyme disease. You here, Here's, take this card, go there, get checked out by somebody who actually knows what they're doing rather than, oh yeah, I, 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 have, I have ALS, I have MS, I have rheumatoid arthritis, I have psychiatric problems, I have irritable bowel, where, should, where do we stop? You know, atypical ALS. What, what else, have, what are some of the misdiagnoses you've heard over the years? Oh God, I mean, there's, there's hundreds. It's, you know, it, goes, it goes on and on. Rheumatoid right? arthritis, uh, chronic fatigue, yes. fibromyalgia, like, it goes on and on. There's a whole Lyme zombie army out there full of misdiagnosed and undiagnosed people, literally millions. People would rather hear, like, I don't know much about it, but here's somebody that does. Yes. You know, clients and patients won't be mad about that. They'll be appreciative that someone's at least open-minded and is willing to, you know, send them further on for further evaluation by somebody that that does know more and how to treat and and diagnose. Absolutely. And you will be a hero by doing this. You will be a hero to your clients and to your community. Yes. They'll come back to you and say, you know, if it wasn't for coach so-and-so who I was seeing, you know, for my weight loss, 
I'd still be suffering thinking I had ALS or fill in, fill in the blank or nobody knows what was going on. So it's so important to get basic training into recognizing what might be Lyme and get a network to refer or get trained yourself. It's not that difficult. We'll be announcing a training in a little bit where we're going to be training frontline people to, I don't even know what to call it. We're going to call it something like triage to triage Lyme people. And to and so you know the basics of what to do, how to work with the initial diagnosis, the initial tests that need to be done and, and how to refer out. Dr. Nicola, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you soon. You're so welcome. See you soon. All right. And that's a little preview of the partnership Dr. Nicola and I are creating to train 100,000 advocates, 10,000 coaches, practitioners, doctors, open-minded doctors to triage, and then a core thousand. We need another thousand practitioners who really know how to get their hands dirty with Lyme disease. So if you want to be part of that, actually, we have a Dr. Nicola and I have a Lyme briefing coming up on the 22nd of March. It's coming right up. Let me share my screen here. Let's see if we could do it. Try a new tech here. And you always have to talk through the new tech. I think I'm going to have to share my entire screen here. So forgive me. No, we can't do it. I can't do it with Chrome. Oh, well, I can't do it. I apologize. I'll have it queued up next time for you learning this new tech here and I think we're doing okay right I'll get better and better regardless not irregardless or regardless if you go to the limeacademy.com that's the limeacademy.com you can sign up for our March briefing and in that we're going to go over what's working right now with Lyme disease. This month's topic, we're going to be talking about COVID, long COVID, and Lyme disease. Hot topic. You're not going to want to miss that. March 22nd, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. That's 4 p.m. on the West Coast. All right. Thanks for hanging in there. I thought this was going to be a 30-minute podcast. We're coming up on 55 minutes all already so i don't know if i'm going to have to cut this down shorter or we're just going to leave it closer to that our hour mark like we used to do i enjoyed myself like crazy it's been a ton of fun being back out talking about lyme disease inspiring people getting you to do it let's get together let's take this lyme crime that's been committed by the blind leading the blind. And let's go out there, turn this around. It's up to us. We need to do it now. Do it now. Do it now. I'll see you all real soon. Bye now. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.